Hello and welcome to Four on Goal, and thank you for joining us for yet another Sunday show. I'm delighted to be joined today by Josh Guessman from Corner of the Galaxy. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Josh. Hey, thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. I am, of course, as always, joined by my three very good friends, Adam, Gary and Nabil. As always, guys, it's a pleasure. Good evening. I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be good. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk some American football. Absolutely. Soccer, even. (laughs) (laughs) And before we begin, a quick shout out to our channel sponsor, Mandrews95. If you enjoy gaming content, then Mike does it all. FIFA, Call of Duty, NBA, even Madden. Please head over to his Facebook page for some top quality streaming content at Mandrews95. Now, without further ado, Josh, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your show and your love for LA Galaxy. Yeah, for sure. Um, we started a, a podcast. Uh, it was me and, and another co-host, uh, Jared Dubois, started a podcast in 2009 uh, covering the LA Galaxy at the time, sort of the the only one. Um, we were two guys who went to games often and just sort of enjoyed talking about it. Um, to, to be fair, I don't think we ever actually met in person until uh, until a little later on in the podcast. So it was kind of just this weird um, coming together of things right whenever Twitter was kicking off, that type of thing. So somebody asked us to do a podcast about the LA Galaxy. We said that would be a horrible idea. We're mm-hmm. going to be just absolutely trash um and uh and so we recorded one sent it to him and and we said see we told you we weren't going to be very good um and he published it and put it out and said great expect another one next week um and so i tell everybody that whenever you start podcasting you're going to be horrible so just keep going Um, i i guess on the podcast now we do two shows a week um, I'm a member of the the media as well as uh, now uh, wasn't the case whenever we started in 2009. Uh, so I get to uh, to cover the team even more closely, uh, and we're approaching 800 shows I think coming up in about four or five shows. So we're we're nice. we're rocking and rolling. Great stuff, and you've built a really impressive following over there. So props to all of you guys over there. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We try, we try. You know, it was a it, there, there was a hole, there was a hole uh, in coverage here in the United States. I think that's probably something that uh, that people in, in the UK can't understand that there was people not covering soccer whenever yeah. we started this, and and so I guess we sort of filled that hole and, and kept it independent as well, which I think is important. Yeah. There's lots of team stuff that gets put out, um, but there's there's fewer independent things that that get to cover the LA Galaxy. Yeah, that definitely is a strange thing here in England for a, you know a big football team or soccer team not to to get much coverage so I mean to us LA Galaxy are probably the most widely followed MLS team that may be an international case as well but it's certainly a case here in England Um, I'm just curious I know kind of between 2011 and 2014 you had a lot of success winning three titles in that time Um, what do you think's I mean currently you're sitting bottom of the Western Conference what do you think's changed since that time yeah, I mean, you really have to credit uh, Bruce Arena, former U.S. Men's National Team uh, coach, times tw- times two, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, he came in at the end of the 2008 season, and in 2009 put together a team that made it all the way to uh, MLS Cup and ended up losing to Real Salt Lake, actually their opponents tonight. Um, so they uh, they you know it was it was a coach who had a plan and then who understand understood how to execute that plan, and not only that, but at that time, I'm sure you're well aware, uh, David Beckham was on the team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and David was not exactly getting along with other people on the team. And he had brought in uh, Rudel Hullet, um, who, who famously uh, didn't do much training. They basically scrimmaged every day and didn't practice set pieces whenever you have one of the smartest right foots um, on, <laughs> in the world at that time, yeah. certainly uh, in David Beckham. So uh, there was a lot of things that were mismanaged and, and not 
you know, put in the correct direction. And for Bruce, he came in and sort of added order to that. And, and not only just the order, but uh, in Major League Soccer, we talk a lot about designated players, the the three players who can exist outside the salary cap, and you get to pay them basically mm -hmm. a, a, as much money as you want. And if you manage those three players correctly, and they're on the field, and they can have a really huge impact on your team. And if you mismanage those, and I think this is certainly talking to some of the stuff that's going on now and went on previously, if you mismanage those, um, you can have some real problems um, mm. it, on a team. And it goes down to the role players as well, which is the same in, in any soccer team. But Bruce was able to put that all together. Um, and yeah. then so they went to MLS Cup in 2009. In 2010, they won the Supporters' Shield, which is basically like winning the league, but then didn't make it to MLS Cup, got knocked out. 2011, they win the Supporters' Shield and the MLS Cup. 2012, they repeated MLS Cup. 2013 was an off year. 2014, they won MLS Cup again. Uh, 2015 and 2016 sort of down years and then Bruce left and it's been uh, uh, bottom of the table for, for a lot of that time outside of some Zlatan influence uh, since then. Mm -hmm. So it's the organization that I see more than anything um, trying to get the right pieces and because of the salary cap and because of the different rules that MLS has, it's hard to keep everything together and to manage those and to limit your misses. Uh, your misses are your, your biggest sort of downfalls in Major League Soccer. Yeah. Um, so would you put any of the blame on Shalotto this season? I know he was recently sacked and they're currently eyeing up replacements. Would you put any of the blame on his management style or his tactics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, obviously had played in Major League Soccer, uh, had played for for Boca Juniors and in Argentina was, you know, a fairly well-known name, then coached in Argentina. So he came in with a, a good resume and sort of the right mix of international slash domestic experience that, that sort of needed in, in Major League Soccer, I think, a lot of the times. Um, so general manager Dennis Klosa brought him in. Uh, you know, he had Zlatan Ibrahimovic whenever he showed up. Uh, I certainly think we can say in, in 2018, 2019, um, last year that that, uh, you know, Zlatan fixed a lot of things that were wrong with the L.A. Galaxy and just brute force of, of scoring yeah. goals and and dragging them. But they were a wildly inconsistent team. And whenever you get to this year, you don't have Zlatan. Uh, you, re you replace him with Javier uh, Chicharito Hernandez. And then so it's more <laughs> about tactics. It's more about, you know, how are you going to get the ball to people in scoring positions? And I I've watched Scalotto coach for two years and I can say that he's tactically inept. Um, he didn't mm -hmm. make adjustments. He didn't put people in positions to succeed. And because of that, um, the Galaxy have fallen off a cliff. Um, it's not hard to sort of point at and, and look at that. You can blame the players that were brought in as well, which is on Dennis DeClosa and Chris Klein, the team president. Um, so you can look at a whole bunch of different factors. It's never one guy's fault. Um, but between DeClosa and Shkoloto, yeah. I think you could certainly point to, to the faults there. So would you say then, Josh, that it's mainly down to the managerial appointments that uh, Galaxy have struggled in the last six years or so? Because like us over here in Europe, we see players like Imala, Imala, uh, Insua, uh -huh. Pavon, das, uh, dos Santos and Hernandez all in that squad. And for us, they were like big names in Europe, yeah. like all players that probably could still make it in the Premier League. Um, maybe not at a top club, but definitely in the mid table. So right. wh why exactly would you say like you're just not performing? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a bunch. Um, you've certainly had underperforming players, and I think if you look at you know Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, um, he's been you know MIA this entire season, despite the LA Galaxy spending a lot of money on him. Uh, injuries, and when he does play, he's ineffective. And again, that could come down to some tactics, certainly. Um, but you also have to understand how to get the best out of players. I would say that's what Arena was was best at was even the the guys at the lower end of the roster was getting the best out of their performances whenever they'd come in. So you can point to 
certainly the managerial issues. I think you also have to point into the the talent that was brought in. You can talk about people who have been successes. Um, I think Insua has played perfectly, you know, uh, slightly above average, which is fine for an MLS defender. The, the, in MLS, they rarely spend any money on, on defense anyway. So it's sort of one of those things you sort of throw your hands up whenever it comes down to it anyway. Um, but, you know, Insua has been fine. Uh, Christian Pavone is a player that I'm sure you'll see over in Europe before, you know, too long. Um, he's a great player. He's also on loan. Uh, so the Galaxy don't own him and he's going away. So, yeah, that was a success, except that they don't have him and are unlikely to keep him past, you know, this winter. So um, he's gone. Uh, you can look at guys who they brought in, like a Michael Ciani, who I, I hope you've never heard of because he was horrible and atrocious. Um, a Yellow Van Damme, who was good for one year and bad for another year. They've missed on so many players. Uh, People Gonzalez, Giancarlo uh, Gonzalez, um, who used to play in Major League Soccer for a little while, um, had a great World Cup and ended up uh, playing overseas and then came back. And you're like, this is the guy that they need to fix the defense. This is absolutely, and, and he's been atrocious. And you can't blame that necessarily on the scouting because that was the guy that they probably should have gone after. And that was the correct move. They just, he just is underperforming. So you can point to the coaching, yes, um, through, uh, let's see, Kurt Alpha, who came in right after Bruce Arena. He got relatively little support from the front office and was gone before the season uh, was over with. Uh, then you went to Siggy Schmidt, who was, you know, second time coach of the L.A. Galaxy and was an MLS uh, sort of legend. And he came in for about a year and a half. And then they 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 parted ways for with him. Um, Dom Kinnear, who is currently the interim manager, became interim manager after Siggy Schmidt was fired. So he, this is the second time that Dominic Kinnear, who has won MLS Cup twice, and I think he went to uh, four MLS Cup finals whenever you look at it. Um, you know, you can you can point to him coming in and he's had some success, but now he's the interim manager again after Scalotto comes in. And, you know, I think it's been pointed out Scalotto had a losing record, um, even with Zlatan Ibrahimovic for one year. Uh, you know, he was 21 and 26 basically throughout the uh, throughout his time with the L.A. Galaxy. So it's been missed opportunities on players. It's been some poor coaching. It's been, I think, a lack of a cohesive plan moving forward. You put all of those things together in MLS where I think the margin for error is almost non-existent. Um, you saw Atlanta United, who was you know one of the top teams, is an MLS Cup winner in some of his first years. But Joseph Martinez goes down with a with a season long injury. They have some coaching challenges, and all of a sudden, you know they're not near the bottom of the table where they were up at the top of the table last year. So it doesn't take much in MLS to get it wrong, and the Galaxy have gotten it wrong consistently over the last four or five years. That's interesting. So obviously, LA now need a new permanent manager. Who would you like to see in charge come next season? It's, you know, it's funny because all the names being thrown around right now, um, as the, the reporter part of me sort of sits here and just chuckles because you sort of have to wait for it to clear because um, everybody's throwing out names right now and it doesn't necessarily mean something. Uh, Juan Carlos Osorio has been mentioned, um, you know, as a former, uh, there's connections there with Dennis Closo, the general manager who was uh, the manager of the Mexican Federation um, for, for a while. So you have the connection with, with Chicharito and you have Juan Carlos Osorio and you have Dennis DeCloso. So that one makes some sense. Um, I actually like Juan Carlos Osorio. I think he's a, he's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool choice if they were going to go that way. Um, I'll be honest with you. My number one candidate right now, knowing that you're in a pandemic, you don't know sort of when this, this is going to stop 
and how much money the LA Galaxy want to invest with AEG, uh, the parent company, you know, owning and operating concert venues and large, you know, sort of people gathering venues across the world. It's not exactly the business you want to be in right now. Um, so, you know, I'd have to think that there's some financial strain on some of these things. Uh, I would probably just stick with Dominic Kinnear. And I know that that's sort of the unsexy answer, um, but he's a known MLS, you know, commodity. He's a guy who has passion for what he does. He's been the assistant coach for the LA Galaxy, you know, since uh, the last three seasons, four seasons. Um, so he knows the team. He knows the dynamics. He knows all these things. And whenever they play under Kinnear, he seems to be able to simplify things and get get results. He won three out of four games or five out of six games the first time he was interim manager uh, missed the, the last game that they lost was the game that they needed to get into the playoffs um, so that didn't necessarily uh, help his case uh, and now he's going to take back over with three games left and if the galaxy win all three games there's no guarantee they'll even get into the playoffs but there's at least a chance that they could do if they lose any of those games they're out so um, you know for me Dominic Kinnear is there there's a bunch of I think you're going to see a lot of uh, you know Mexican uh, managers from Liga MX being being certainly looked at with the large, um, you know, I, I wouldn't even say the large Mexican contingent, but certainly large Spanish speaking contingent on this uh, roster already with Scalotto, who had brought in, you know, a lot from South America and from Mexico. Um, and being in Los Angeles, that makes a lot of sense in, in terms of that. But um, I think you're going to see within the next month, real names start to start to sort of look at. And in my mind, Galaxy needs somebody who can who can manage players um, and and put players in the best place to succeed. And that's probably simplistic, and every manager is supposed to do that. But Shkoloto didn't understand the tactic side of it. He may have been a man manager, uh, but he wasn't a game manager. And so the Galaxy really needs somebody who's able to put those two things together. Interesting, because you, you didn't name any of the two names that our media outlets have been naming. And, uh, uh, which, which one? Tell, tell, tell me, because so I'm always we've interested. We've heard Robbie Keane and Landon O'Donovan. Like, oh, okay. okay. So, uh, are they two that you'd... Happy to see it. So first of all, yeah, yeah. So first of all, I think you have to understand that the LA Galaxy have a love affair with Robbie Keane um, that knows no bounds. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where, um, as somebody who covered the team, and I, I talked to Robbie many times, and I have nothing but respect for him. And he is an amazing, amazing soccer player, a, a fun competitor. Same with Landon. Um, just fun competitors, guys who are just you know don't they they hate to lose so much that that's what drives them more than wanting to win. It's I will not lose. There's stories of Robbie Keane walking off during scrimmages and practice whenever his team loses, he just goes to the locker room and he's done. Um, he was like, no, I'm I, that's not that's not good enough. I'm out of here and the whole deal. But Robbie was such a good competitor and Bruce knew how to manage that. It was great. The thing with the thing that we're told from the LA Galaxy or people at least close to the LA Galaxy are saying that it would be difficult for them to see somebody like Robbie Keane who has no head coaching experience to come in and be the manager of the LA Galaxy. I think that given the right circumstances, Robbie Keane absolutely should be um, considered. In fact, I would love to see Robbie Keane as, you know, an assistant manager and basically one of those guys who's who's going to be named, you know, the head coach in the next couple of years. Maybe having him, maybe having Dom Kinnear be the manager and Robbie Keane underneath him and know that that's your transition line for the next three years if Robbie wanted to do that. Um, but I don't think the LA Galaxy are going to stomach having a guy who technically has no head coaching experience come in. Uh, sort of the same thing with Landon. Although Landon's been head coaching in in the lower divisions in the United States, um, I can't see him coming to be the manager of the LA Galaxy at this point either. The the experience on both of those guys, however much experience they have as players, um, I think that the LA Galaxy would be squeamish about that. Whether that's fair or not, we can have a different argument. I know that I know the organization is squeamish about that. 
You mentioned um, Javier Hernandez a few times, Josh. Um, I'm a West Ham fan and we had him here for a few seasons. Um, I just wonder what your thoughts on him were, because you said a few things that West Ham fans largely said about him, so we've got to play to a style that suits him, but no matter what style we play, we never managed to actually get the best out of him, and it seems to be the same at the Galaxy, really. Um, how's he performed, really, since he's been there? Because I know that the fans aren't too happy of him, and you know he's, he spends more time online, apparently, streaming than he does actually um, playing football. Is, is, what, what's the case of him at the moment? No, that's a, that's a fun thing to talk about, Adam. It's just one of those. <laughs> it's it is it's funny because you said you were a West Ham fan, and I was I was and I'm like I hope that I don't hear the same things over and over again. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for the market. You know, if you go back and you look at the signing, the reason they did the signing, it makes a ton of sense. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, you look, there's a large, you know, Mexican-American contingent in Los Angeles. So certainly they're playing to that. And I am never one in Major League Soccer and in Los Angeles. You need to have star power and you need to have winning. You know, David Beckham was great whenever he came, but he wasn't truly great to what the Galaxy needed until they started winning MLS Cups. Um, you know, Robbie Keane came in at the perfect time to sort of pair with, uh, you know, with David Beckham and and sort of lift those lift all three of them, Landon and, and David and, and Robbie Keane to this next level. And so you need the star power in Los Angeles. And I will continue to argue that until somebody shows me that it's different, because I would like to point out that in Zlatan Ibrahimovic's second year with the LA Galaxy, attendance went down, not up. Um, which makes no sense. But again, the, the the team was made the playoffs. They played a little bit better, but they still were not the winning side that you would expect. So going to Javier Hernandez, it was, yes, you're getting the marketing side, but you're supposedly getting the all-time leading goal scorer in the Mexican national team. Um, what we have seen from him so far is nothing. Uh, he scored one goal, and I think he's played nine games, uh, ten games, and he hasn't started all of those games. Uh, the Galaxy are currently through 19 games, I believe, so... You look at all these things and you say, okay, you know, has he even been effective? And the answer is outside of small spurts, maybe 10 or 20 minutes at a time, he hasn't been. He's only played 90 minutes four times, almost five times. The the, the fifth time was 89 minutes, so almost 90 minutes. Um, so you look at this and he has not been on the field for the LA Galaxy. I think Dominic Kinnear talked about in his press conference yesterday, which was, you know, when you don't have all three of your designated players, and in this case, you're looking at Jonathan Dos Santos, Javier Hernandez, and Christian Pavone. When you don't have all three of those players on the field at the same time, um, then, you know, your, your team is going to suffer on that. You're spending all this money for those guys and they're not there. He's been hurt. Um, he seems to maybe have had his feelings hurt by Scalotto, who benched him, which was a perfectly mm -hmm. reasonable benching. Um, so there's there's lots of things that are going on. And he put out an Instagram post that said, oh, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do better. And then that was on Friday. And then on Saturday, Kinnear ruled him out with an injury. And so it just it sort of continues as it goes. Um, you know, I think that so far the LA Galaxy has spent almost 15, 16 million dollars on on Javier Hernandez this season. He's owed uh, another 10 million dollars at least because he has some bonuses Honor. in there over the next two seasons. So in in terms of MLS money, that's a lot of money. I'm sure there's I'm sure in, in the UK it's not that much money, but in the, in MLS money, it's a lot of money. And um, so they need that to perform. He has not. They have not found any sort of rhythm with him. Um, mm. They've even thought about pairing him with another striker, which the Galaxy current, currently don't even have. So they're converting people into strikers to sort of give him a strike partner. Um, I found him in small spurts to be uh, something that you could maybe build off of. But in the whole, you, your your team's probably better off without him on the field, which is um, not the best thing you want to say about your highest paid player on, on the team. I wish I could give you some more confidence about him saying at West Ham he did he, he did much better, but he never really. Um, we had we have the same questions about him. He, he he appeared for like twenty minutes a game. He would do a lot of running eventually, but then he would just there was no end product. And again, he got benched at West Ham, and then 
he, he never, he's never, he'd never really turned back really. He tried to put some good performances, but we never saw the play that you expected. That Man United was his probably best spell at any club, really. And we, ne- we, we never really saw that ourselves. There was a period when we tried to pair him with another striker, but again, the work rate wasn't there from him, so it never really played off. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting you talk about the running because um, you know the one of the biggest criticisms of him right now is that he's not in shape, um, and because he's not in shape, you're not even really getting that work rate out of him as well. So um, it was interesting because I, I think Kinnear, um sort of mentioned you know all of his personal issues, and whenever you said personal issues, you're talking about his injuries, or is there something else that's sort of going on? And obviously the 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 Mexican press who who covers uh, the LA Galaxy solely for the reason that you know Javier is is playing on the team um, is just going studs up on him. I mean, just full on. And it's you know I tend to be a little more reasonable. Uh, I know most of these guys that get to talk to him. Unfortunately, I haven't really got to meet Javi all that much. I think he's spoken to the press maybe two or three times since signing, which is unusual here in the United States. Uh, not to have your highest paid player on a team, the guy who's the star, not be available. I mean, Zlatan spoke after every game. Um, so, you know, speaking to speaking to the lion there is was was yeah. a was a fun thing every game. And, and now we, we rarely see, uh, you know, Javier Hernandez and he's being sheltered by the team for sure. Um, it's just it's just not working. And the, the problem is that they still owe him 10 million dollars over the next two years. And that's not something the Galaxy are just going to go out and eat and and, you know, sort of buy out the contract and have him go away. So he's going to be here for, for next year, as far as I can tell. So looking forward, Josh, um, with the LA Galaxy, I think it's fair to say there'll probably be a a rebuilding stage ahead. Is there any kind of exciting players to look look out for in the LA Galaxy team that perhaps this squad can be built around? Yeah, that's a great question. We get that we get asked that a lot, and and I would say right mm. now there's very few, which is unfortunate. Um, and the yeah. rebuilding period that you're certainly pointing to has been going on since 2017, 2016. Um, so mm. we, you know, there's a rebuild, and then a coach is fired, and then you know that coach's idea of how things sort of go goes out the side. So um, I'll point to to one of the players that I'm most excited about. Um, and it's well known on the podcast that I have a man crush on him, so I won't pretend to uh, to, to not say this. But there's 19 year old Julian Araujo is absolutely um, one of the most dynamic defenders. He's an outside back, so he plays on the right side. Um, is is what everything you'd want from an MLS defender. Plus, um, he's aggressive. He's young, so he makes a lot of stupid mistakes, which you can sort of write off. But um, the the work level and the work ethic that he has is so superior to anybody else on that team uh, outside of probably Christian Pavone, who is certainly gifted with all of the talents that he has and so uh, can still pull some amazing things. But Julian Rao has been you know the one bright spot that you can really point to and look at. And and having said that, and know that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he departs for Europe this winter. So saying that you're going to build around him is probably not the smartest thing to do because I wouldn't expect him to say if he doesn't go this winter, I would expect he would go summer Um, just because there's too much. There's all the scouts are looking at him. We heard that Liverpool was interested in him. I know there's a bunch of UK teams, there's German teams. So um, you look at all that and you put it together and you say that would be a guy who you could sort of try to build the defense around, except that he's not going to be here. So how do you build that? Um, around him. And I would say that, you know, uh, all the guys like the high paid, high price guys that you would want to build around. Jonathan Dos Santos has been, you know, missing in action this whole year. So you can't build around him. Christian Pavone, like I said, isn't a Galaxy player. He's gone at the end of the season. It doesn't look like the Galaxy will retain him. So they can't build around him. You look at the midfield and it's been a mess. Um, you know, Jonathan Klinsman, who is uh, Jurgen Klinsman's son, uh, is currently playing in goal for the LA Galaxy. Uh, he has a chance at probably getting the number one spot next year if he if he works hard, but he's made some mm-hmm. mistakes too. So no, I don't, I don't know that there's anybody who you'd really love to build around. 
um, unless it was somebody like Christian Pavone and you could figure out a way to keep him from Boca Juniors. But um, outside of that, there's the, the cupboard's pretty bare right now. Yeah, I think Pavon, you know, he would have been the player I would have picked to build the team around. But like you say, if, if you're not able to keep hold of him, then that would be a bit of an issue. Um, you mentioned Araujo. Is it Araujo? Yeah, Araujo. Araujo. I believe he was recently called up to the US national team. Him and I think Let get the, the, the currently uh, yeah, Seba- the only... Sebastian Legit. Sorry, Legit. Yeah. Yep. Excuse my um, pronunciation. No, 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 no um, problems. So I believe they're the only two USA uh, national players to be called up to the US national team. Do you think that's a suggestion that the kind of homegrown American players in the Galaxy team aren't up to the required standard? Yeah, um, that's certainly been something that you've seen falling away. I remember that whenever there was U.S. men's national team call-ups and, uh, and you would look and like six players off the Galaxy would be gone. Um, and so you'd sort of be like, oh, okay. And, and MLS doing MLS things usually plays through international windows as well. So you'd be playing games without six players and Landon Donovan would be gone. And, you know, sometimes Mike McGee would go or Alan Gordon would get called up. And uh, while uh, while Landon Donovan certainly was like the clear starter on all those, um, there were a lot of role players that, that would usually get called up as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Galaxy haven't had it and and Legette's form this year has been he's been one of the better performers which is uh which sort of makes what i'm going to say next kind of kind of weird but he hasn't had a great year um he, tactically and positionally he's been a mess uh he's just been in the right place at the right time to score some goals which is not something he's necessarily known for over the last time so you'd see that arahu got called up to the u.s men's national team and didn't even get to play uh, and he actually mm-hmm. used that as a motivational thing to sort of go. And he's a dual citizen. Um, so Mexico could also sign him as well. So Mexico is looking uh, at him and the United States. And so there's sort of an arms race to see who's going to eventually cap him and, and, and pull him over. I think the U.S. probably has the advantage at that right now. But Mexico is moving in pretty hard. So he may not even end up playing for uh, for the U.S. as it all comes down, which I think would be, uh, you know, a little bit of a mistake. But, um, yeah, I mean, you haven't seen the 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 talent on the LA galaxy. And maybe also this year, we have to point out that a lot of the top quality U S men's national team talent is not playing in, in major league soccer. They're actually over in Europe and the UK um, playing. So, you know, you look at, you know, Pulisic and, and Dest and uh, there's a whole bunch of Josh Sargent and some other guys. They're, they're not playing in, in major league soccer right now. And the, the youngness of the U S men's national team that is sort of going to show eventually whenever we get back to qualifying here, um, you know, is going to be something that we haven't seen in a while, or at least I, certainly I grew up with guys um, who are no longer playing uh, on that team anymore. So it's really sort of a changing of the guard. And it's a, I would say, a, a sort of a new dawn with where those players are based and sort of how they're, they're, they're being used over in Europe and, and may, maybe not necessarily in Major League Soccer as much anymore. Hey, Josh, I, w- I wanted to um, ask you about the perception of the MLS, because over here in the UK in the past, it's sort of been viewed as uh, the retirement league for, I guess, like past at superstars of yesteryear. I wanted to understand if has that has that perception sort of changed over in, in the MLS? I know recently we've had obviously guys coming over from the MLS, specifically in the Premier League, like you mentioned. Um, Miguel Almiron's a good example from mm-hmm. Atlanta. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to be the person who tells you that Major League Soccer is any sort of you know top tier level. I think that in the time that I've been watching it, it has grown by in leaps and bounds and is in a very competitive league. Um, I think that there's still a lot of value to bringing over some guys who maybe can't play at the upper levels of, of Europe anymore um, and, and bringing them over. Calling it a retirement league. 
Um, I've seen people fail. Um, you know, people who are, who are very good in Europe come over and fail at, at sort of trying to make it in Major League Soccer. Steven Gerrard was certainly one of them. Um, you know, got to see him up close who couldn't really handle the the rigors of, of Major League Soccer anymore. Uh, you look at a guy like Zlatan Ibrahimovic who came over and certainly everybody said, oh, you know, he's going to retire. Um, and he came over and played for two years and absolutely set the league on fire and did things I didn't think were physically possible. And I enjoyed watching and talking to him almost every single day. Just crazy times. And now he's over with AC Milan, um, you know, having one of the best years in soccer in the world. Um, so, you know, there's there's always cases that you can point to of, yes, MLS is a retirement league. Um, I think Ashley Cole was probably my favorite one who, you know, whenever he, I think, went and joined Roma, he said, they said, well, we thought you were going to MLS. And he goes, oh, I'm not ready to retire on a beach. And then he came to the LA Galaxy and was just such a joy to watch and was just so good at what he did. And he, you know, he spoke to, to me many times about how hard it is to play in this league, how physical it is and how much effort and energy it takes. Um, and, and I'm a huge, uh, I was not a huge Ashley Cole fan before he came and speaking to him, he's still one of the smartest footballers I've ever sort of talked to him and Nigel DeYoung. Um, sort of talking to Nigel as well, as crazy as Nigel is and and certainly has the <laughs> reputation on the field. He is an absolute joy to talk about tactics or anything else. He's just so smart. Um, so when you look at it, yeah, there's always sort of I, I think they're always going to be pegged with sort of the retirement league. And yes, with the younger players that have been pulled out of South America, uh, Central America, and sort of then uh, used MLS as a stepping stone to head over to Europe. I think that is changing. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's always a reason for somebody to sort of try to uh, try to talk down upon another league. And, and certainly in the United States, where it's not one of the major sports, um, you know, at least in, in viewership or, or money spent or that type of thing. Um, and, and the popularity has grown so much since I started watching. I don't want to downgrade that as well. But I think it's still easy for Europe or the UK to sit there and say, yeah, MLS is a retirement league. It, it's a tough league to play in, regardless of who you are. Uh, you need to have some real skill level. Um, and when everybody thought that Zlatan was tearing MLS apart because MLS was so horrible, he then went over to AC Milan and, and Serie A and sort of proved that, no, it was just Zlatan being Zlatan. So um, I, I don't put much stock in it. I think the league has gotten a lot better. And I think, you know, in 10, 20 years, we may be talking about, you know, one of the top five or six leagues in the world, but it's certainly not there now. Sure. I just wanted to um, just go a bit, dig a, dig a bit deeper into those players that you mentioned that sort of failed in the MLS, like Stevie G. Um, why do you think that that was? Do you think it was just a lack of acclimatization or maybe a mentality thing? Maybe these players were obviously coming towards the end of their careers and they thought, yeah, nice, a nice sort of year, a couple of years in LA wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's always interesting. I think with Stevie and and he was a he was a great guy to talk to. I always enjoyed uh, speaking with him. It was a very nice guy. I think with him it was a matter of his body breaking down. He just wasn't ready um, anymore, and so he just couldn't he couldn't match the physicality and. Listen, you know, we see it in the lower leagues here in the United States, but, you know, it's this frenetic energy that sort of takes over in some of these games where it's just running back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, tactically, it's a mess uh, sometimes. And sometimes, you know, it's it's great and the tactics are great. But there's just moments within, you know, MLS games or, or with USL, you know, second division for, for the soccer here um, in the U.S. that y you look at and you say, you know, it's just running and it's just physicality and there's not a lot of smarts being deployed in some of these things. And I think that for players who are towards the end of their career, that running 
those miles that they're putting on their body and just the physicality. Um, and, and certainly I watch the premier league and understand that the premier league is very physical as well. Um, but you know, some people can't handle it. Um, we're seeing South American players come up and not be able to handle the physicality or the level of fitness they need to be able to handle, uh, major league soccer. So, um, just in terms of the league's definition of being physical and, you know, sort of fitness based and, and what you've seen, uh, from major league soccer, I think that there are guys who come over and just aren't prepared to put in that type of work and, and to work that hard and aren't prepared to play with the guys who, you know, are coming out of college and are going to get a shot. And if they don't make it sort of in the next two years, they have to do something else because they can't make enough money to sort of support their family or do other things, um, in it. So it, it's, you know, Zlatan was constantly talking about the, the, the level of dedication that it needed to be a professional footballers. And, uh, you know, I think MLS fails on that sometimes. Um, just the, the depth of talent throughout the United States just hasn't been developed as fully as, as in other places. I think that's changing. Um, but right now, MLS, the salary structure and sort of how things are, um, there's guys who, yeah, I mean, you know, they come out of college and, and they're going to end up playing with guys like David Beckham or Steven Gerrard or Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And those are just different levels of, of dedication professionally uh, that, that are there. So I, I think that'll change. Um, but this league is not easy to sort of just jump into and understand um, and to, to understand all of its intricacies. And the travel in the United States is atrocious. Uh, especially whenever they are flying everybody on, you know, Southwest or, or American Airlines uh, and not having charters. So uh, Zlatan had to put up with that. And I'm pretty sure he wanted to kill somebody every time it happened. So you put all those things together and and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily always work for everybody. I've got a question around the U.S. national team. Um, so right now I'm quite excited by the likes of Pulisic, Dest, uh, Gio Reyna and Weston mm-hmm. McKenney. Yep. Are America about to go through like a nice golden generation of foot- footballers? You, do- you would be you you would be like jumped on and tackled if you decided to say that because I think everybody is is sort of in this 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 superstitious sort of moment of okay, listen, we can see what's coming, but we're not going to say it and we don't want to talk about it because really we haven't seen these guys play all that much together and it's sort of like hey, there's a lot of talent and it looks good. Um, you know, is this the year I finally get my, you know, my U.S. men's national team World Cup, uh, you know, tattoo on my back, which I said I would get if the if the U.S. ever actually won a World Cup? Um, no, and and so there's this cautious sort of optimism I think right now uh, after missing the last World Cup. Uh, there's a lot of hurt, broken people uh, in this in this uh, in this country. Uh, it's it's not a thing that has happened very often to us in recent years. And there were a lot of people who became U.S. men's national team fans during the good years of qualifying for World Cups and making it out of the group and then getting eliminated. But you you, you were competitive and you were doing something and you were trying to do something uh, that was you know bigger and you understood you were the underdogs and all these things. What's shaping up now it feels different. And I, I think people would agree with that. I don't know if they have the right coach in, in, in Greg Berhalter. Um, but I don't know if he was ultimately the, the guy who was going to be the, you know, the long-term coach through some of these next cycles as it goes. Uh, I know, certainly know that people are sort of fighting and, and tipping their hat towards Jesse Marsh, um, who has had a lot of success over with, uh, with, uh, Leipzig. So you, you look at all these things that, that are sort of lining up and there's a path to some pretty competitive teams, I think, for the U.S. But I don't think anybody's ready to sort of say that yet, uh, knowing that they couldn't beat Trinidad and Tobago uh, some years ago, uh, trying to get into the, to the World Cup on a on a pretty slow pitch. So uh, everybody's still sort of, I think, uh, a, a little bit shaded by that experience. 
Well, I think you've got a great future, to be fair, especially with because uh, you're co-hosting the 2026 World Cup, yes. I believe. Yes. Um, and it just feels like that's six years time. Most of the players I mentioned will be in their prime. Like, I'm not going to say it, but I think <laughs> the US could have a very good World Cup. Yeah, um, yeah, we, we we won't say it, but yes, I I, I think everybody sort of again just let them qualify for the next one. I think that's the first step everybody wants to see, and and you know that was such a a setback for the U.S. But yeah, everything seems to be lining up in a way that we couldn't have predicted maybe two years ago. Uh, whenever you know things sort of really hit their their rock bottom and their and everything that it was. So the 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 federation itself is still a giant mess. Um, they can't even put out an email right now for like selling, uh, selling, you know, shirts or, or sweatshirts without it being some sort of giant controversy. So there's still a lot to clean up and a lot of people who could get in the way of the success. But I think everybody's looking at it and saying, this is something that could probably, probably happen for the, for the U S we'll see. Fingers crossed. Definitely. And that's, we're almost done for time here today. Um, one last question. Do you follow any other sports because i know it's been overall it's been a great year for the city of los angeles so do you follow maybe the baseball or the basketball at all so i i as a general fan of sports and growing up i grew up playing baseball and i grew up playing soccer and i played some basketball and volleyball and a whole bunch of other stuff um Mm -hmm. doing it i do still follow um what's going on and certainly with the dodgers uh winning the world series and the lakers Mm -hmm. winning you know the nba championship um seeing those things in los angeles I'll be honest. I think Galaxy fans are hurt even more by the fact that mm. that yes, they're they're fans of those teams, but it used to be that the Galaxy were the ones bringing home the championships. Yeah. Um, and so it feels like there's this expectation that the Galaxy really need to step up, knowing that that as we so likely to say um, that you know the that Los Angeles is sort of the center of the sports world uh, in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, watching that, everybody's been really excited. And I think that's what's been sort of keeping people from uh, absolutely trying to uh, trying to burn the place down um, over at the Galaxy. Uh, they're still calling for a lot of heads and a lot of people to be fired. So I'm not sure that the uh, that the sacking has uh, has fully reached its uh, its end yet. I, I have a feeling there could be two, three more firings by the end of the season. Um, so, you know, having seen the success of, uh, of the Lakers and the Dodgers is certainly something that uh, has reminded LA Galaxy fans that they're further away from that more than, more than ever. Uh, this year so good mm. good great awesome fun to see uh, fun to see Los Angeles sort of uh, get those things during a global pandemic and mm. and have some things to, to sort of look to look forward to uh, at the same time I think for galaxy fans they're they're realizing that it's a long way still to fall before they can sort of rise back up yeah and I'm really hope I'm sure we all hope the same that we'd love to see LA back on that perch because they really are an iconic MLS team um, to us certainly yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, they they have a global reach, and I think that uh, the the current administration at the Galaxy has sort of taken advantage of that global reach, but hasn't really oh. uh, fixed a lot of things uh, in that. So still, I like to act like they're the big dogs on the uh, on the, on the street, and they're not. Um, so we'll see if uh, any of that is is reconciled here in the next couple of years. Yeah, let's hope so. That does just about do us for time today, Josh. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Whereabouts can talking to you? Whereabouts can people find you and your show online? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to cornerofthegalaxy.com, that's our new site. It also has all of our podcasts, our articles, all the stuff that we do that cover the LA Galaxy. And if you're looking for uh, us on Twitter, it's pretty easy, at Galaxy Podcast. You can find all of our information there. We have a great Discord that runs as well. So if you're interested in the LA Galaxy, all the Discord information can be found over at cornerofthegalaxy.com as well. Great stuff. Thanks again, Josh. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Take care. Cheers, Josh. Take care. It's been a pleasure. 
Um, with the first part of the show down and out of the way, we're now going to move into this week's Sports Roundup. Sports Roundup. Let's kick things off, guys, with the football. Now, it was the four-on-goal derby today, as we alluded to on the last week's Prem Focus. Um, it was a tough game for Liverpool. As I expected, I, I did predict we'd come out on top, but it wasn't easy, was it? No, West Ham are in very good form. So I kind of expected the team that they put out, the system that they put out, and credit to them. They came with a game plan. Moisey obviously has them well drilled at the moment. Um, and it was a very tough game. It was a tough slog. A lot of controversial decisions in the game, let's put it that way, which I'm sure we'll touch on briefly, but I don't want to go too much into that i'm sure that's for the <laughs> for the uh prem poker show but overall it was a decent result i'm not expecting us any well from a liverpool perspective i'm not expecting any two nil three nils anytime soon purely because of the short turnaround between different games and the fact it's we're at a current stage in the season where basically the results is all that matters at the moment but yeah i'll throw my two pennies as a west ham perspective it's hard to watch it on a small screen, to be fair, but uh, it was a, it was a it was a good game either way, though. Like neither team got a whooping by either side. It was a well, it was it wasn't an exciting game. It was just a um, a well fought contest, really, for three points. Um, by no means did Liverpool run away from one run away with it, but by no means West Ham in the past. I mean, how many games are you unbeaten now, Anfield? To come away disappointed is quite three. Unbeaten. Yeah, that's what I mean. So come away as a, as a disappointed as a West Ham fan, we didn't get anything. It's just a so a statement in progress to West Ham themselves that they came away disappointed because in the past we'd roll over and just get beaten up by you lot. Um, let, let's discuss it briefly. What was it a dive? I, I just, I, I, I think it was soft. <laughs> I think it was a little bit of a dive, but we've, we've all got our thoughts. I already know. I already know people's opinions on this. It's just, it's just, nice to have a week without any controversy, right? Yeah, there's no controversy yeah. in this game at all. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> go out there, guys. As a Liverpool fan, I'm gonna say Salah dived. I'm, I'm gonna say there was contact. But he didn't go down for that. He chose to fall to the ground. And by that definition, I believe he, he dived. He simulated that fall. See, this is where like I I guess it differs on people's opinions of what a dive is. From my point of view, I'm not going to class it as a dive. Did he get... Was there contact? Definitely. Was it a soft penalty? Of course it was. But even if you look to today's <laughs> example with Callum Wilson, it was basically a carbon copy. Um, and no one's really batted an eyelid on that one. But... Yeah, I mean, Excuse English. soft penalty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a whole different conversation itself, which I don't really think we want to be getting into on this one. I'm sure we can save that for a prem focus. But, yeah, yeah soft penalty, too long it. Okay, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing, really, that, you know, the player of Salah's quality, he doesn't need to do stuff like that, but he does. And it's not the first time he's done it either. He doesn't need to dive. He's got the ability to do better than that. So to see him simulate for a very soft penalty, which is a bit... It's disappointing to see, really. I mean, I've got I won't get too annoyed about it because I've got a massive headache, but it was just, it's just a stupid thing to see, really. I saw Gary laughing there. What's your thoughts, Gary? No, I agree. It was a very soft penalty. Um, <laughs> you can't hold it in. You can't, you can't it admit in. it. You can't admit it. <laughs> uh, like, I don't think it was a dive because there was definitely contact by Masuaku, but it was a big, <laughs> it was the biggest overreaction ever. You know, you shouldn't be going down from that kind of contact. Oh, but at the end of the day, if you don't go down, you don't get a penalty. 
Um, I'm, I'm pleased to see if they're facing away from the goal, today. then you got to go down, really. Uh, but, just... Yeah, I think we both both teams had a decision go their way each, really. I mean, even if Sat- uh, Ma- Masuaku did hit him, any well, he didn't hit him hard. But I mean, if even if he was a bit closer to him, like to go down under that level of force, it's just ridiculous. I was watching the rugby at the same time, and I was about so many people wandering around with. Like broken nose and covered in blood, and then there's Salah just like launching himself at the ground after the most tiniest tap from a player ever. I'm not, I'm not just picking it out because it was Salah and it was Liverpool. If any player had done that, you're just thinking like, geez, like Callum, if Callum Wilson, I haven't seen the game today, if he's done the same thing. It's just poor. I don't get why players need to do to do that. It's just, it's just poor, really. But anyway, we won't spend. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll move on. We'll move on. We'll, we'll dive into that more on this week's prem focus. I'm sure we will. We won't touch on every single Premier League game this week, but I think it's worth mentioning Chelsea, a very dominant display of a Burnley. And I was personally really impressed with Hakim Ziyech. I thought he had not quite a masterclass, but he had a very good game for the team. Second goal of the week as well for him, after scoring against Krasnodar in midweek. You know, it was he's a player that I like because he came from Ajax. And obviously... I like know, a lot of the Ajax players. You like anyone. <laughs> yeah. You like Ajax. And um, yeah, like he was Ajax's star man when they reached the semi-final of the Champions League. And then he's gone to Chelsea for about 35 million. And he missed the start of the season due to injury. But I think he's fitted into that midfield quite well for them. And I think he could be a very good player in the Premier League. He's looking at it so far. Chelsea's starting Chelsea to look... are They are clicking yeah. now. Yeah. Like the defence and attacker just somehow... Clicking right at the right time, and Let's I don't think they'll that, win though. the league. I don't think they're going to do, do that. But they're the only team right now that looks to have perfected both ends of the pitch. Let's not forget, though. Mm. Like five minutes ago, we weren't. We were saying how crap they were. They've, they've beaten a poor Burnley side that sit bottom of the Premier League. They're not. That wasn't exactly a um, statement performance. Yeah, and they, I mean they they also won like four one last season as well. So I mean, the Burnley result isn't a reflection of how good they've been recently but I guess the real tests will come in those big games like the Manchester United one can they really grind out those results I have I obviously think they're gonna have a decent season like Gary mentioned I don't think they're gonna win the league but I think they'll have a they'll they'll finish higher up but yeah it's it's, it's, it's just a case of see how it goes from a Chelsea perspective really and talking about another potential uh, title contender in Man City. Is it fair to say they scraped a one-nil victory against Sheffield? Yeah, but again, it's one of those like similar to the Liverpool result. I don't expect a lot of the top teams to be playing very well performance-wise at the moment. I think it's yeah. just a case of grind out the results as best as you can. Just put some sort of winning run together because, as we all know, we've seen these freak results recently, and it just seems yeah. to slowly be getting some bit of normality again um yeah. and that's that might be well, yeah it's good, good to see some normality returning a little bit to the league the way lockdown's going i don't think we're going to see fans back so it's good to see yeah. <laughs> some normality return to the football and you mentioned exactly. normality it's, everton lost again things are going back to normal which is great oh, to see. yeah and aston villa and aston villa yeah, yeah we, i think know, we said last week that both these teams would probably start to to slip you do get this every that. season, though, that there's always one or two teams that um, tend to do extremely well for some reason for the first five games and then suddenly plummet. So you may find that one or two of Everton do suddenly drop like a stone down to the, not the bottom of the league, but definitely slide down a little bit more that they couldn't have continued. Well, they could have done, but hmm. it's very unlikely they continued in the streak of form they had been. 
And the last game we'll touch on this weekend, Arsenal beating United. One nil. I didn't watch this game myself. Can one of you sum it up in a in a sentence, maybe? Borefest. Borefest. <laughs> Two Arsenal words. Were, Arsenal were very organised defensively, which I was quite impressed with. Um, and I think they did deserve the win in the end. United, on the other hand, were yeah just shambolic as they have been recently in the Premier League. Uh, a lot needs to change at that club, as we've probably mentioned quite a few times, as a lot of people in the media have mentioned. But, yeah, I don't know where where, where they're going to go next, United, if I'm being honest, because they seem to just do basically this exact same pattern. They'll, they'll have this really bad result, then they'll string maybe a couple of decent results together, they'll get some wins, everyone will be like, we're back, it's United, blah, 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 then they'll lose again, and it's just rinse mm-hmm. and repeat. Because they've looked really good in the Champions League so far. Yeah, PSG and Leipzig, you yeah. know, mm. and they destroyed Leipzig. In the league, yeah. So it's not like they're doing badly, but they just can't get a result in the league. Um, and yeah. that's uh, Arsenal's first win at Old Trafford in like 14 years. Mm. You know, so it's not like Arsenal used to winning there. So I, I can't see Oli still being in charge come January. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. His we... wheel is crashing. <laughs> at last. <laughs> Crashed a long time ago. <laughs> Um, if we go to Spain now, Real Madrid winning 4-1. Do we think they're going to run a- run away with the league title now? I don't think no, they'll run not. away with it. Um, it'll be a close title race again, purely more because of, I guess, the lack of excellence from both Real Madrid and Barcelona's side at the moment. But I, don't, I, I do mm. think Real Madrid will win the league. I think Barcelona, the way they are at the moment, I just don't see them winning the league. I think Messi's... It looks like Messi's mind isn't in it, and his heart definitely isn't in it. And when that happens, with especially with Barcelona, then yes, it's not good. They're currently down in um, third teams, aren't they? Yeah, Barcelona are in the bottom half, yeah. They haven't won in four league games now. Messi's only scored one goal a season. But mm. Atletico Madrid look really good this season. Yeah, they're like, a game behind Real Madrid as well, so they've got they they can yeah. actually go top the way where they're currently set. Exactly, they can go a point clear with the game in hand, and they just don't look beatable at the moment. Like obviously, they haven't played Real Madrid or Barcelona yet, but with the squad they've got, you know, they got players that can score goals. But the way Simeone sets them up in their defensive-minded game plan, like they just look too good. They're the only team that look consistently good. Like Real Madrid have been struggling in the Champions League, failing to win any of their first two games against Shakhtar the Nets and Borussia Gl- uh, Gladbach, and Atletico just looked like a team that could win the title for the first time in about ten years. Hmm. You know, so they can see a difference in the Liga as well. Yeah, I think Madrid have been, the Real, yeah, Atletico Madrid have been close a few times now. It's been good to actually see them win it. Definitely, and if we look at the Bundesliga. I do enjoy watching Bayern and Dortmund battle out at the top. Uh, Leipzig losing twice in the space of a week. Are we seeing a two-horse race potentially this season in the Bundesliga? Um, not necessarily two-horse race. I still think Bayern will cruise, cruise the league again. But it just seems like everything seems to be getting back to normal in all the top five leagues again. It, yeah. I think that actually has something just something to do with the fact of the short preseason more than anything. Teams obviously quite reassuring prepared. actually. <laughs> Yeah, in a way, it's quite reassuring. But, I mean, from a Bayern perspective, they've been awesome. They've just carried on from where they left off last season, really. Um, yeah. And I expect them to just carry on and just eventually win the league. Okay, and Gary, maybe you want to talk about Ajax. Yeah, so they just 
doing what Ajax do and scoring loads of goals. Uh, winning 5-2 on the weekend. They were unlucky in midweek, to be fair, against Atalanta. I don't know if you guys saw that, but they drew 2 all after leading 2-0. Um, so now they've only got one point out of two games there. But in the league, they're top. Um, they got a massive goal difference as well now. It's about plus 20 already after just seven games, mainly due to that 13-0 win, obviously. Well, that but the tease, <laughs> yeah, you know, just a little bit. Uh, but the T's are actually their closest challenges at the moment, um, and they're only behind a goal difference. Uh, mm. But they've both played the same amount of games. PSV and Feyenoord, the two teams you'd normally expect to be around there. Feyenoord are nowhere near this season. Uh, but PSV, they're not too far behind, but they've got obviously Mario Gertz this season. Um, and he's done quite well for them so far, but Ajax just looked too strong. The the youngsters they've brought through this year as well, just phenomenal. They've just slotted straight in and already dominating the league. It's crazy. And looking at Syria, AC Milan's still top, but Ronaldo is back and he did look hungry on his return. <laughs> he's a bit of time off, isn't he? After his <laughs> coronavirus goes, yeah. Um, I, haven't followed, I don't follow the um, Syria too closely, but... It's always it, with most of these leagues. It always seems to be a two-horse race. Do you, do you guys know much more about Syria than what's been going on than me? Yeah, so AC Milan have looked really good this season. Do you think I don't know if you've up? seen their Europa League results, but they got two wins out of two in the Europa League as well in the group stages. And they just don't look like a team that can be beaten. They're a bit like Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid at the moment. They just don't look beatable in their own league. Um, obviously, Bayern lost earlier in the season, but apart from that one-off game. Um, against, I think it was Hoffenheim. They just don't look like they're going to lose. Um, AC Milan, they, they've got a really balanced squad. They've spent a lot of money in recent years as well, uh, breaking financial fair play a few times, but they've looked, they look like they've got it right now. And the last hand's obviously the massive difference in that mm. team. But Juventus are already four points behind. Like, that's two games that AC Milan have to slip up on. Um, I mean, jo- Josh mentioned earlier, Zlatan does tear up wherever he goes, doesn't he? Yeah. And I think if you look at Juventus' alternative, it's uh, when Ronaldo's at it's Marassa. And he was just having a lot of offside goals. Like I think he's had about five goals ruled out offside in the last week. He had one um, earlier today. And (laughs) I don't know what it is. like. Lazy forward play. Yeah. um, But Zlatan's obviously just tearing it apart. And it would be nice to see him win another like big league before he retires because I imagine that's not too far off well he he doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon just a phenomenal player (laughs) just keeps going he'll be about 45 probably still going yeah really impressive stuff Um, and league one PSG unsurprisingly at the top Lille fairly closely on on their tail only two points behind and have you been following league one much this season I mean I've PSG pretty much look like it's just going to be how it is every season, really. I don't, I just don't see that's where the, ne- just don't see where that's, the next. That's a one club league, isn't it? Exactly. There's just no competition in that league. Um, yeah, um, PSG, PSG win league, the league every season, but I think we all know by now, like they, they, what they really want is that Champions League title. So I imagine as soon as they get, do you the think league, they're running out of time now, though, with that? That um, eventually Mbappe, I Neymar think, are going to want to move on. Yeah, I think Mbappe, after the end of this season, I can see him moving on. I don't know what his next club will be, but 
But I, if yeah, if the Champions League doesn't happen this season for them, I think a lot of that that the core structure of that team will will change. Could it be Liverpool? Mbappe twenty twenty one. Yeah, I'm really disappointed actually because in Liga One, PSG started with, uh, without winning the first two games, and it just feels like no team's kind of gone after them. Yeah, since no that. one took advantage of that. Yeah, everyone's kind of just gone, ah, oh, do you know what? We're going to go back to just sitting back against PSG and allowing them to dominate us mm. instead of actually getting in their faces because they've obviously lost Thiago Silva this year. And if you look at their defence now, it's a very weak defence. And that's why they won't win the, the Champions League again because every year they focus on their front three and they got a phenomenal front three. But then you look in the midfield and the defence and it's, it's quite weak compared to a lot of the big European teams. And they, I just can't ever see them winning the Champions League with when they're only focusing on one position, really. Yeah. And speaking of leagues dominated by one team, it looks like Stevie G and his Rangers are coming for the crown. Yeah. It, um, it, this could be the year for Rangers fans. Um, they've been on unreal this our whole year? season. So, <laughs> yeah, it's our year. <laughs> Um, they've been good. They've been really good this whole season. They've basically stopped conceding goals as well. Um, I think they've only conceded about three in the league as well and scored about 29 or something. Bearing in mind, Celtic do have two games in hand. So even though they're nine points behind Rangers at the moment, if they win their two games in hand, that will cut the deficit to three, obviously. Um, but yeah, they just look really well balanced. They they brought in the right players. Um People, you could sort of argue that it's about time, considering the amount of money that Gerard has spent over the last couple of seasons. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Really, they're, they're looking good at the moment, and Celtic on the other hand, still firing goals, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's got. I think he got his three hundredth goal last weekend, wasn't it? Superb finish as well. Mm. That's the first time out of the year. I'd love to see it. And now we'll come away from. Now we'll come away from football for the moment and we'll look at the cricket and our very own in-house cricket badge in the Bill Islam. The Rajan Royals winning by seven crickets, my boys. <laughs> First of all, uh, Rajasthan Royals, of course. Um, I hate to break your bubble, <laughs> mate. Uh, they got knocked out today, yeah. <laughs> oh, did they? Oh, yeah, okay. they, they can't make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, so um, so they've, there's been some big games. This is obviously uh, sort of like the, the, the critical last round of fixtures in the IPL. So some of the big games that have happened this past week, we, on Friday we had the Rajasthan Royals then keep their hopes of making the playoffs up uh, alive. Ben Stokes putting in a, another man of the match performance. He, he took two, two wickets, scored a quick 550 and took a catch. Um, and then on yesterday we had another couple of big games and big results. So Mumbai Indians officially are the first team to qualify and they've guaranteed a top two spot as well. So they beat the Delhi Capitals. They're on a bit of a losing streak at the moment and they've got a game tomorrow. So yeah, it, it, it could go either way on that one. They've got, they're, they're playing RCB, so it's going to be tight, that game. And then speaking of RCB, they also lost to the Sunrisers Hyderabad, who in, in, theory also kept their hopes alive of the playoffs at the moment we've got the Mumbai Indians that have qualified for the playoffs and Mm -hmm. it's basically looking like a toss-up between Delhi Capitals RCB KKR or Sunrisers Um, so yeah the next couple of games are gonna just determine who who's gonna make the playoff spots and more importantly what positions they finish in because I can probably see Mumbai finishing top 
for yeah. sure. L- last week we looked at the table. It was much tighter up there. It looks like Mumbai Indians have really, you know, built a bit of a points gap there. Yeah. I, I, so when we were speaking to Badger a couple of weeks ago, the thing we touched upon was the fact that Mumbai Indians are the most balanced side, at least on paper, okay. in, in this year's uh, tournament. I think all the other teams have really good international class players, but they sort of play as a bunch of individuals where I think the Mumbai Indians, and let's not forget that they are the reigning champions as well. So they've, they've mm-hmm. got the form, they've got the players. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they go on to win it again this year, but it's been a, it's been one of the most exciting editions of the IPL that I can remember for a long, long time. It's just a shame that we haven't had any crowds to sort of experience all the action really. Yeah. Okay. And um, coming over to the rugby, England are the Six Nation champions after beating Italy 35, sorry, 34 to 5, putting the pressure on Ireland after Scotland had surprised Wales earlier in the day. What were our thoughts about this victory? Yay. A bit surprising, actually, because um, everyone fully expected England to get the points victory, bonus point victory over Italy, mm-hmm. as they normally do. Uh, Italy are normally the team. You plan on getting your like goal difference up, so to speak. Uh, isn't there normally just a walkover? But they actually took an early lead. lead Ireland did uh, Italy, sorry. Um, but that really put the pressure on Ireland. And even though France were the favourites for the match, all they needed was like a thirty-point win to take the title. France and Ireland went into the game just needing a win with six six-point gap, um, and that. For the majority of it, it's very even, but then the second half, France just walked away with it. But um, England was, like looked very good, um, and obviously it's great. Our, our nation, our Six Nations champions. Very proud. Yeah, it was very boring weekend, <laughs> apart from that, to be fair. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, let's not let's not forget about the England women's as well. They they reached just a few hours ago. They sealed the the Grand Slam for a second consecutive year, as well. So on both fronts, really. It's been a successful year, eventually, in the Six Nations for both the men's and the women's. Um, and especially for the women's, I think it's important for them with the World Cup being next year. Fingers crossed, of course, on that front, um, that they build up their form going into that. Definitely. And remaining on the topic of sports using egg-shaped balls, we're now going to look at the NFL. And it's been an interesting weekend. The Chiefs, well, my Chiefs beating the Jets very convincingly, 35-9. to The Ravens took an early lead against the Steelers, and the Steelers have fought back to a 28-24, well, I was almost said victory. There's still two minutes to play, chance for anything to happen, but it looks like the Steelers are really fighting to keep, to remain the only unbeaten team in the NFL. The Browns losing again to the Raiders. The Raiders look great. The Browns, they've just lost Odell Beckham Jr., People were starting to say, would they be a better team without him? It doesn't look like they will be, unfortunately. Um, he's done his ACL, so that's very unfortunate. Um, the Rams currently losing to the Dolphins. The Bengals, Josh Allen's Bengals beat the Titans, which is a very impressive result. Only their second win of the season. And so far, it looks like, for me, it looks like the Steelers and the Chiefs are really the two favorites this year for the Super Bowl. And if we come over to Major League Baseball now, so the LA Dodgers beat the Tampa Bay Rays earlier in the week, four 
four games to two in the MLB playoffs. So that's the second LA championship this year. It's a, I'm sure it's a great time to be a LA sports fan unless you follow the Galaxy. Um, it's Dodgers' first title since <laughs> 1988 and their seventh overall. So they haven't had much wow. success recently. Just out of curiosity, side, how did the uh, the Red Sox do in the in the Major League Baseball this year? Yeah, they didn't even make the playoffs this year. Um, I think it's fair wow. to say they're not the team they were. Um, I mean, we hear a lot about the Boston Red Sox over here in England. One of the we hear about them and the Yankees, but yeah, neither team have really been firing on all cylinders for a while now. Now over to the boxing, uh, Usyk beating Chisora. Um, kind big of expected from fight. my point of view. It was a big fight, and he called out Anthony Joshua afterwards, perhaps mm. being one of the more interesting aspects. Yeah, I think a lot of the question marks around Uzik going into that fight was, can he make that step up to the to the heavyweight division? Um, mm. And I think he, I think he put in a really good performance. Uh, I, a lot, of, like you mentioned, I think it was expected that he was going to defeat Chisora. I think, I guess, with a look ahead to the future now is what happens? Does he end up fighting Joshua next? Do we get that Joshua-Deontay Wilder fight? Do we get the Joshua-Tyson Fury mm. fight? Which I think every, that's what everyone's hopeful for. Um, yeah. But he's, he's one to definitely watch out, look out for in the uh, in the heavyweight division for sure. We, yeah, def- I mean- we definitely want to get that Joshua Fury fight out of the way soon. Cause, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much longer we can go on for with, with this constant talk of different people calling each other out. If we just want, we just want to see that that I fight know. finally happen, because there's going to be a trilogy. We already know that, so yeah. we just want to see it happen. No, stop, stop fighting all these like these boxers. Oh, I'm going to beat him like Jazora. Just, just let it happen. Yeah, one thing I'm not a fan of is that they're really hyping up Usyk and Joshua. Like this is what the people want. The people don't want no this fight. Oh <laughs> no, we all want. Oops. We all. Joshua. <laughs> yeah, Usyk's an incredible fighter and he's shown that a- across different weight categories but maybe he can fight someone like Dillian White who, who's looking for a big... I know he's perhaps worthy of a, a championship contestant fight but I think that would be a good matchup and right now the people want to see you know the three big boys fight each other, right? The only reason I can think of them wanting to delay as much as they can is to get people out of lockdown so they can fill out like yeah. Wembley with like 60,000 yeah. people but they could be waiting until the bloody... You love, you love to, um, Fury and Joshua five and eight years, eight years old. This rate, the wait, the yeah. amount of time we're waiting. Just get out of the way, get it done. Yeah, I, get the fight that's, that's in. I'm, I'm sure they can charge as much as they want for pay per view, just because people people will pay it. They want to see it. I the division like those... stacked at the moment as well. There's yeah. so many big, good heavyweights. Like you mentioned, the mm-hmm. three big boys, but even Dylan White, Derek Chisora, all these yeah. guys that arguably they could say you could say they deserve a title shot at some point down the line. But yeah, it's it's just hierarchical thing like you have to follow the hierarchy whoever's the current champion you fight the number one contender yeah and that's not even including um parker ruiz and um, exactly, we're seeing yeah. Usyk in heavyweight now and he's a much smaller guy bring something a bit more interesting but yeah what everyone really wants to see right now is the, the big guys fight each other but i get it right now it's not um it will be hard to put on a spectacle at the moment um uh, now let's look at the formula formula one i, I don't often watch the Formula One, but I did see the last ten or so laps. Adam, you saw, perhaps you saw can... a good point on the race, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can give us a rundown. Yeah, I, I can give you a rundown. I, unfortunately, I didn't see qualifying and practice live um, this weekend due to being unavailable. But they did run a different format, so rather than having practice on a Friday, where they'd have three different practice sessions, and sorry, two on a Friday, one on a Saturday, they did a one and a, 
an hour and a half slot purely on the Saturday, which made it quite interesting because all bar one of these drivers has actually raced on this track before, which is Kimi Raikkonen, who's been around for like 40 odd years now, well, not in the sport, but he's 41, but he's been around a long time. He was actually the only driver on the track that actually raced there before. The rest of them had no experience. So having an only hour and a half worth of practice was quite interesting, really, for them for them to see. Um, qualifying was was the fairly standard. Um, Bottash actually took pole for a change. Um, Hamilton second, Verstappen third. Um, it was, it's a, I, I, people said they enjoyed the race. I thought it was a fairly standard race. Um, it's not a very good track for overtaking, so you weren't seeing many spectacles of drivers trying to beat it to each other on a corner. The, the only real possible corner to overtake someone was on the first straight uh, mm. when you have DRS really there. Um, you saw you saw a few good overtakes, but it was a fairly standard race. Um, Hamilton managed to stay out long enough because um, it looked like he wasn't actually going to get um, P1 for a while. He, he was struggling throughout the large part of the first part of the race. Um, but fortunately, there was a safety car for him, which gave him a chance to pit. And then he just absolutely wiped the floor again with everyone, really. Yeah, from um, what I saw the last last few laps, it, you know, I didn't see anyone. I didn't see him have to overtake anyone. It just seemed like a comfortable race. Yeah, for, so that, that that's, that's that's since I've started watching Formula One, that's fairly what it's like. But I, he, he, uh, part of me wanted him to fail. So I was like, come on, today's the day he doesn't get P1. But he yeah. does. And that's just, it just goes to show how great a driver he is. Um, and fair, fair play to Bottas as well, actually. Um, he actually had P1. It looked like he was gonna he was gonna do all right, really, for um, actually to get to secure that for most of the race. He he was he was he was holding it out quite well. But then it turns out um, he had floor damage, and no one really know what it knew what it was for a large part of the race until um, after the race. Actually, he had um, part of a Ferrari's front wing stuck in the bottom of his car, which was quite oh, funny. Wow. Um, see, he did well, really. It's so fair play to Bottas for driving with that because um, yeah, he's done really well most of the season to stay up there with Hamilton. Um, only a few times he's, he's failed to finish a race, but most of the time he's been up there. So, just goes to show he's 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 he's, he's one of the best drivers on the grid as well. And he does have the best car, but still he's up there challenging. Um, yeah, there was a safety car towards the end of the race. I can't remember exactly what lap. It's around lap forty-five, maybe maybe a bit later. Gary, actually, I think it's about fifty-five. You can remember ex- the exact number. Um. Yeah, it was around the 50. Yeah, mark. It, it didn't. It, 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 it came at a good time, really, for some drivers. Um, it made the race a little bit more exciting towards the end um, of all the cars condensed back on the grid. Um, George Russell, one of my favourite racers, actually. Um, he was. He looked like he was going to be on for his first points this season to take him off the bottom of the championship. I do, he's quite a young driver. Um, so there's no shame, really, of him being bottom because he's not in the best car either. He's probably in the worst car on the grid. Um, he looked like he was finally going to do it, but unfortunately behind the um, the safety car, uh, he put his foot to the pedal too quickly and the cold tyres just gave out and he just crashed straight into a wall. Um, it's, it's his own fault and he's admitted it. He's, he's gutty, he's always said on social media, but um, he gave him on for his first points. So that was a sad point. And also Verstappen um, looked like he was going to take second after absolutely grinding down Bottas in most of the race. Um, unfortunately, after the um, safety car, his his um, sorry, prior to the safety car, he's one of the reasons the safety car was out. Um, his hard tyres just gave out, his rear right just blew up on the straight and mm. caused him to crash as well. So he was going to be on for second. So ultimately, um, as you pretty, pretty well know, Hamilton took P1, Bottas P2, and then um, Danny Ricciardo, one of my favourite drivers, I think Gary, you like him as well, ended up getting P3 um, due to Verstappen and his incident. Yeah, Ricciardo is a great driver. Um, I was a bit disappointed with the race, to be honest. Because uh, considering only 19, 19 of the drivers have never driven there before mm. in F one history in F one, and only having one practice session, I thought there'd be a bit more rustiness and maybe a few more crashes. Unfortunately, and... I think just looking at the track though, it just wasn't really. It wasn't like a. It's a great. It's got a lot of history that track. I mean, 
they did a video just before the um the race started and that's it there was two the last the, prior to them in about the 1990s 1994 i think there was two deaths in one race weekend there mm. and senna being one of them one of the greatest drivers of all time unfortunately lost his life there so it was a lot of there's a lot of history there but the track itself it's not a great one for overtaking in today's um today's formula one cars maybe in the slower era of the cars or the more classic era there was there's much more opportunity to overtake but as you say it wasn't really a great race to see kind of that it was much more of a race based on strategy really DRS played a massive part as well. A lot of cars were getting a lot more speed by using DRS than they normally would on other tracks. And, mm. you know, early on that definitely played a big part. I don't think towards the end it made much difference, but definitely in the opening few laps, there was a few cars gaining a few positions mm. just purely down to DRS and the speed it was allowing them to get early on. We saw that last weekend as well. Um I think DRS was too long last weekend. The distance it had on it, the people were just flying past um, other cars on the on the first lap, and that was, the only, that was the only DRS spot on that track. And I think that was the same today. There's only one spot for DRS, so it's not that it's not the greatest two weekends of um, racing in a row. There's a, there's a week off now, and then we actually we head to Turkey for that. Should be quite a good race um, coming up. That's, that would definitely be one to watch, Shy, if you if you get a chance. Yeah, definitely. I think after what I saw today, I'll definitely be trying to tune in for for more races. Definitely. And if we come away from F1 for now, and Gary, perhaps you can give us a rundown in the tennis world. Okay, so the big event this week was in Austria, uh, the ATP uh, Vienna event. Um, Novak Djokovic was massive favourite going into that one. He's one of the only so-called big boys uh, taking part. He actually lost to Lorenzo Sonego from Italy, who's only 42nd in the world. He lost their... Um, quite early on in the tournament, actually, around the quarterfinal stage. Um, Sonego eventually lost the world number eight, Andre Rublev, today in the final, um, after Dan Evans had lost to Sonego in the semi-final. Dan Evans obviously reached semi-final last week, didn't take advantage of not really being against any of the big boys. And then, you know, he, he lost to Sonego yesterday, which is a bit disappointing because... Two weeks in a row now, Evans has had a chance of reaching a ATP level final, and he just hasn't taken it. And he's looked poor in both semi-finals, so very disappointing. But he's had two great weeks, you know, winning three games in both tournaments, um, but just not quite got the finishing touch there. I have some. Uh, I have. I was reading some news around the ATP Tour finals, so I believe that's actually is going ahead this year. Oh, okay. Um, it's going to be still the last. Yet yeah, still in November, just without crowds. Um, fortunately, of course, but it'll be the last one in London, I believe. So the last ever ATP Tour Finals in London. But should be good. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, there's only really two more weeks left of the actual tour um, at ATP level. Um, so it looks like Murray's season's over. Cole Edmund mm. pulled out this week of the tournament. Um, so I think he. I was saying I think he had an injury uh, last week. I said that. And I think this just confirms that he's definitely got an injury. He's always had an issue with his back and uh, especially his arms and legs. So I think he just needs a bit of time away now just to recoup for next season. And hopefully Edmund and Evans can lead the British charge and maybe even Andy Murray. I see him come back. Uh, he pulled. He decided not to take a wild card this week. So I think he's just wanting a bit more rest as well. Okay, and if we go to the darts, 
I believe it's the European Championships this week. Perhaps you could give us a quick rundown. Yeah, so the man that you guys were raving about, Michael Van Gerwen, saying he's unbeatable. I've beaten <laughs> again this week in round two. He lost to Ian White 10 4, so that's quite embarrassing. He did look very good in the first round. He looked like a man on a mission and then just didn't really turn up in round two. Um, James Wade and Peter Wright have won tonight, meaning they face each other in the final. Obviously, Wade's from Wardshot, where we're from, so we'll be rooting for him. But Peter Wright is really a man on form this season. Uh, he's won most things, and I just can't see him not winning the event. But that starts in the next hour or so, and it should be a very good final. I believe it's first to 11. Um, but yeah, Wright versus Wade. Gary Anson wasn't part of the tournament. Don't think Len Durant played either, so a few big names missing out. Um, but still, Peter Wright versus James Wade, you don't get better than that. That is top-tier entertainment, definitely. And Gary, any bowling this week? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Thank uh, God. My man... you doing your research after last weekend, man. We were sat there waiting. <laughs> my man, Thomason, uh, didn't quite do anything this week. Nothing <laughs> of note, anyway. And that's um, bowling. Yeah, I really hope. We see another 300 from him one day. <laughs> He'll be back next year. Okay, you're an inspiration to the bowling community, definitely. Our best and shortest ever lived segment, the bowling. Yeah, all the bowling fans have just tuned out. <laughs> um, okay, now we're going to move to the next segment of the show, Sporting Highlight of the Week. Sporting Highlight of the Week. Gary, perhaps you can kick us off with your sporting highlight. I'm not going to lie. I really struggled this week. Nothing impressed me that much. It was all very bland. But um, as a Liverpool fan, I, I, I like Nat Phillips. So him coming into the game yesterday to make his Premier League de- debut at Anfield as well. Um, he was meant to leave the club in the summer. Nobody really rated him. And he was a man of match. And he seemed very good in the air as well. So I was very pleased with the way he played. I don't think he's going to be a regular starter when everyone's fit, but he definitely seems a good option in, like, say, a cup game or when someone needs a rest. So I was quite happy with the way he played. I think to make your debut and get a man of the match is superb. Definitely. Adam, your sporting highlight of the week? Yeah, I didn't actually touch upon this in the Formula One segment earlier on, but uh, Mercedes are now the seven-time champions in a row um, of Formula One, now now the, now the leading um leading constructor out of all of the other ones um, I think Ferrari are up there um, with six I believe they just beat them with so Mercedes now the all-time all-time champions with seven in a row I mean it's a really great achievement um, in the hybrid era of Formula One um, they just they just came out of the blocks really they're ready for this era of racing with the hybrid um, engines um, it'd be interesting to see how they carry on performing through next season um, and the following years because there's a rule change coming in 2022 um, in fact, Hamilton today said this may be his last year of racing, so he might see someone take his seat, which will be interesting. Um, and also Toto Wolf, their um, what, what would be the word for them? I completely forgot the word. He, he's their CEO and their um, what's the word, Gary? When someone's their um, is it like their technical director or something? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, technical director of the of the uh, of the team is um, hasn't signed a new contract for next season. It's still unknown as to what Hamilton and him are going to do. 
they they basically um, two of the best people Mercedes could, could leave. So you, you may see you may see the end of this year of dominance, but um, I'm sure whatever happens for them, they'll put someone in place that can equally carry on the success they've had. But they've done it now, Mercedes, seven-time champions, and that's probably the highlight of the weekend for me to see them actually to finally do that. We all knew it was coming. It was all a matter of time, and they've they finally done it. Great stuff. And for me this week, I've gone with, we, we touched on it earlier, and that is the LA Dodgers beating the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, like you say, it's, it's been a difficult week to really pick a, a sport and highlight for a sport that I closely follow. Um, but with someone who, you know, my in-laws are they're really big Dodger fans, you know, this one's for you guys. So go Dodgers. <laughs> go Dodgers. Go Dodgers. Um, and the bill, perhaps you can finish us off with your sport and highlight of the week. Yeah. So um, similar to everyone else, really struggled this week, but I've actually gone um, for Ben Stokes' two match winning performances in the IPL against Mumbai Indians and Kings 11 Punjab. Um, there was a lot of criticism around Ben Stokes when, when he eventually started playing again in the IPL, that he wasn't quite delivering for the, for the price fee that registered rules and he hasn't really delivered in the IPL for at least a couple of years as well but those two performances I think have shifted the perception a little bit now um in the Mumbai Indians game as we all know he scored an unbeaten century and then to follow that up next game we saw the all-round brilliance of Ben Stokes to basically take wickets score the runs and take catches um so he he's my he's my pick for this for my sporting highlight for this week it's just a shame um that we're not really going to see that much of him in the IPL, but he is English, so we'll enjoy him in the winter in the series against South Africa. Most definitely. And that does it for our sporting highlights of the week. We are now going to move over to the last part of the show, Quiz Smalling, and this is always a saucy matchup. Gary, take it away. Oh, yeah. So this week we've got last week's winner, Adam, versus this week's <laughs> challenger, Nabil. You're always so unsure of who won. <laughs> He's not prepared for this. <laughs> just get, get his nose on tissue paper. Just, uh, yeah. So Adam versus Nabil this week. So we're going to start with the reigning champion. Why do I feel like this has been fixed by what's going on? <laughs> so Adam, your first question is on tennis. Awesome. So Novak Djokovic lost in the quarterfinals of the event in Austria this week. But how many competitive games, including forfeits, has he lost this calendar year? <laughs> Blimey. How many games, including calendar forfeits? So is that. Uh... So how many games, including forfeits? So obviously he was notoriously chucked out of the US Open a few months ago. Not for, this week, but, not for this week, but definitely in the week. I think we should start adding multiple choice, but not not for today, obviously. But <laughs> I, mean, I, could, I could name any number, but range out. I'm going to say four. The number four is in my head. If it was all matches, including expedition matches, it would be four. Oh. However, it's only three. Oh, he lost oh. this week. He lost in the final oh. of the French, and he got disqualified against Karina Buster. Right? Oh. Am I not allowed that? Come on, I, I named the number. No. Name the number. Well, it's not the number I asked for. Name the number. <laughs> Neville, yours is an F1 question. Okay. So, so what the Grand Royals do in cricket? <laughs> <laughs> so as Adam mentioned earlier, Kimi Raikkonen is the only driver on today's grid that competed last time oh, the track was used in San Marino. But who was he racing for? Ooh. Oh, he's, he's going to know this. Come on. 
Get off your phone. Answer it now. Um, <laughs> Three. McLaren. Two. Ooh, that is actually correct. Oh, Come on. He finished. Right, he finished. Yes. Vamos. He finished fifth in the race and was what? teammates with Joan Pablo Montoya. Yes. Wait, hold on One a second. Did you, did you say ask him who he raced for this year or back then? Back in that race. Back then. Oh, 2006. Come oh, on. No. Oh, that's, that's, the only other, that's the only other. <laughs> that's the only other. Today, like. Right, Adam. <laughs> I don't think you got my chance now. Uh, so you got a rugby question. Easy. I know. I know about rugby. Which England rugby player got his hundredth England cap this weekend oh. in the victory against Italy on Saturday? I actually know this. Johnny Wilkinson. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a feeling he may have retired a few years ago. But it was Ben Youngs. Yeah. He's only the second player to do so after Jason Leonard. So, Nabil, you've won anyway. Yes. Uh, yours is a darts question. Okay. So, Michael Van Gogh in the world number one lost in the quarterfinals this week. But who was the number one seed of the tournament? Ooh. This is a tough quiz this week. <laughs> it's always um... a tough quiz. You always give this something absurd. <laughs> was it... Was it... Gary Anderson, mind chance? Well, considering I said he wasn't part of the tournament, it oh, was right. not. Okay, fine. Uh, it was Josh book. Cullen, the world number 16. Okay, well, Who well, actually well, lost well. in the first round to William O'Connor. Well, we already know the result, lads. So let me take it away and play this week's... <laughs> Back on his perch. <laughs> he I literally had, had it ready had the whole <laughs> time. I had that ready as well, <laughs> We love it. We love it here. Would you like to hear what the tiebreak question was? Yeah, go on. See if either of you can get it. Yep. Uh, So it's a football question, Mm -hmm. as is every tiebreak question. (laughs) Who has more Premier League goals this season between Ben Chilwell and Michael Keane? Huzzah! We didn't have a fucking buzzer. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't give any points. Um, Michael Keane. Adam? Ben Chilwell. It's Michael Keane, 2-1. to So Nabil wins 1-0. I'll look forward to seeing you all next week. You're taking on the bill next week. Didn't we say you're going to actually be involved next oh, week? I said that would be the week 10 special. So is this, this week, week 10? six. No, Bloody hell, it's only been six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, nice. Okay, well, guys. That, I'm back that on just, my perch. Back on his perch. forever. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to hear about this for a week. <laughs> Get a t-shirt printed. You're not paying Gary enough. And the bill's putting more in his pocket. That's just how it works. <laughs> Okay, that just about does it for this week, guys. Um, it's been a fun one. It was great having Josh on and hearing all, all about the MLS and his perspective on the Galaxy. Um, for anyone listening, please do check out our social media at 4 on Goal, pretty much everywhere you can find us. Please do check out our channel partner, Mandrews95, for some top-quality streaming content. And that, yeah, that's it for this week, guys. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. Cheers, Good guys. night, everyone. Good night.